Hey everybody, my name is Kiana Dubeshi. I'm back. And I'm so excited to be hosting the next few episodes of The Way Out Is Back Through. Today, I get to share with you my conversation with Dr. Rhonda Taylor Bullock, the lead curator and executive director of We Are, which stands for Working to Extend Anti-Racist Education. We talk about everything from the clarity that comes from standing in your truth, especially in the context of our current moment and the attempted erasure of black people and black history from our schools. We discuss why and how we take care of ourselves as black women in education and what it means to live out the values we say we believe. Thank you again for joining me on this journey. My name is Kiana Dubeshi, and this is The Way Out is Back Through, Lessons on Place, Context, and School Leadership. Well, hello, Dr. Rhonda Taylor Bullock. I'm so excited that you are joining us here today. And um, I mean, like there's a lot of stuff that is happening. And otherwise, I mean, it would be like a really great conversation, but really, really important work. And we're going to find the joy in it all. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing and what brought you to this work? Yeah, well, first, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be a part of uh, this opportunity, this chat that we're going to have. Um, as you said, my name is Dr. Rhonda Taylor Bullock. I am the co-founder and lead curator or executive director at We Are. Uh, we Are stands for Working to Extend Anti-Racist Education. And we're a nonprofit organization that does exactly what our title says. Like we provide anti-racism training for children, families and educators. We use, yeah, so we're we're just, you know, and it does, it didn't feel bold. It just felt like work we're supposed to do, like to provide anti-racism summer camps for kids and workshops for parents and families and educators um, to try to dismantle systemic racism in schools and beyond. And because of your lived experience, of course, right? Like, I'm like, yes, we need those kind of things. Like, I need those kind of things as a, a Black mother. I would have needed those kind of things as a Black teacher. And I mean, in 2023, we're seeing all the pushback and all the different ways that we're silencing. And yet in your name, there's no way that you can hide. So this year's theme is about Black resistance. I feel like there's resistance literally written in your name. Can you talk to, talk to us about like how that feels to kind of be out in the forefront leading in that way? Yeah. Um, well, for one, I'll say that racism is in our, our name intentionally. Like we we I chose racism even against people's um, and we started like around 2015. And so there was people's apprehension. Don't put racism in your name. Don't put a black fish. You're not going to get in schools if you do X, Y and Z. And and I was like, you know, we do anti-racism work. I don't want um, to mislead people into thinking that we're doing diversity, equity and inclusion. And not that that's bad. It's just different. And um, the mindset and the energy and the information um, that is required of you as a participant in an anti-racism workshop is just different. And so we, we're not trying to hide. Like We want to be upfront and um, intentional. And it is to be able to name things for yourself, to name your truth is a form of resistance. And so, um, you know, I, we intentionally chose anti-racism because that is what we're doing. And we're not trying to, again, um, trick anybody <laughs> when we when we show up. So we want to make sure that you understand um, that that's what you're getting with us. That that deep breath that I did, I was just like, yes. And right. Like so much of our work is around anti-racism as well. Anti-racist approach for trauma informed spaces for teachers. Right. Because like that costs you something. 
to lead in that way, it costs you something. To yeah. be a system that was not designed for our teachers, it costs us something. Yeah. Like yeah. each month, we are really thinking intentionally about how we're taking care of our teachers. They receive care packages every single month. We do check ins. We show up for them because we know that a lot of people are not showing up for them. And like these ongoing microaggressions that they experience every day, it's taxing. So I'm wondering, and this might be like a little bit interesting. So you just tell me, like, I don't care about business, but how do you take care of yourself leading this kind of work? Like, what do you do for self care? I is you can't. Well, you can. You can do this work and not care for yourself, but that's not healthy. Um, for me, once I started doing anti racism work full time, um, I got a therapist. That was one of the first things that I did. Um, initially, it wasn't. I didn't feel like it was impacting me, but the things that I was hearing and the conversations that I was in. Um, I knew that, that there, this was going to have a long-term impact on me and I needed a place to talk about it with someone who was skilled and trained to help me process, you know, what I was experiencing, what I was thinking. So that's one thing. Um, I pray. I, I'm a believer. I'm a faithful servant. I'm a needy Christian. <laughs> and so I pray. And, and that's very important for me, um, to pray and to read, um, the word and then also people who write about it. Like that's very grounding for me. Um, and I work out. I used to be a runner, um, but I've had some uh, long-term knee injuries that have prevented me from being able to do that. And so now I I lift weights and work okay. out um, at a gym. Weights, okay. And it has like changed my whole life. And um, I missed the, a long time that I had running to just be introspective by myself in nature. Um, so I have to find other ways to get that connection, but. Weightlifting is is really like changing my life. And so I appreciate that release and feeling. So feeling um, emotionally strong, but also physically strong feels really good. Yeah, we've offered that to our teachers. The eight, some of what I hear is like the eight dimensions of wellness. You got your physical, your spiritual, your emotional. I hear some mindfulness in there. And it's all really, it's all really important because this work is like long term, right? Like I would love for things to change tomorrow, but. I don't think that they are anytime soon. As a matter of fact, we continue to have to like um, reinvent ourselves as racism continues to reinvent itself. Um, and so now here we are in 2023 talking about the erasure of Black history. And what I know, you know the same thing. And yet um, we're, you know, working and serving educators who are faced with this right now. And I mean, in some ways, I even feel privileged being one step removed from like how navigating this censorship, if you will. Um, and the mental gymnastics that it must take being an educator of color, specifically a black educator, um, and having to face, um, what is happening right now, like what has been politicized, right? So what are you, what are your thoughts on all of this? And, and, or like, how are you all combating this that we are? So one of the things I'll say, we have to put this in historical context, right? Curriculum. And so what we're seeing now in Florida, and and I do want to say, like, Florida's getting all this attention, but it happens um, in, in covert ways everywhere. So if we're thinking that Florida is the only state right. um, that has, you know, they're, they're doing it by law, right? By law, now they're excluding Blackness from the curriculum. There's other pl- places that are, you know, du jour, right, um, that are doing it um, just without all the fanfare, and so now we just have a, you know, a microscope on Florida. But um, what we are encouraging educators to do is to fight back, to keep going, um, to teach, your, teach, you know, 
with your values and lead with what you know is right and socially just in a classroom. There's so much research out there now that shows that children need to see themselves represented in the curriculum for one. And by children, I'm talking about black, brown, indigenous, marginalized communities, um, LGBTQ plus people, women. That's what those are the people who need to see themselves in curriculum because they've been historically excluded. Mm-hmm. Our, the curriculum has been largely white and male. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, you know, we have to tell people like we can't step, we encourage educators not to take a step back, to take a step forward um, and, and to keep moving towards progress. Like we have come a long way in education, but we still have a long way to go. And now is not the time to be afraid um, and and to to back down from what we know is right. Yeah. And that and that resistance, again, it, it costs you something. But what I heard you say, that it will cost you more. Right. Like if you did or if you were to betray your own values. I think about that a lot because we toyed around with some of the ideas around how do we even create psychological safety for our educators? Like, how can I, as a leader, like share with the educator where maybe they would have safety teaching in a building or safety teaching under this particular leadership? Um, and there's just, there's just a lot of systemic ways in which that, like, that can't happen, right? Like it's, it's embedded, it's deep and it's enriched, but I wonder what it would look like as a collective or as, you know, like a resistant effort to figure out ways to designate like this school is a psychologically safe place to teach, work, live, right? Or or to exist to exist in our community. Because these schools wouldn't be around if it weren't for us. And yet, like we're consistently in some ways like the pawn or being toyed with around or things are happening to us. And so I feel like this there's this awakening and that's where I feel like there's this um this this additional layer of oppression. But you're right, this is not new. It just keeps reinventing itself year after year. Definitely. And I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to do the lights. I'm in this new room <laughs> and the lights went out. And so I have to move every five minutes or it's okay. going to be dark okay. in here on me. So we're just keeping it real. You know, and this, yeah. is, the, this is the reality. Yeah. Yeah. talked about it. Unplugged. <laughs> this is the reality. The lights are going to go out in five minutes if I don't move. Um, so I think... Part of what we have to wrestle with, for one, is where are those places where the leadership and the school board leadership aligns with um, socially just educational systems? And I believe those school leaders and those school boards have to be a lot more, uh, have to take up more space. I think those voices need to take a stand to say this is what we believe and this is what we teach. We believe in African-American studies. We believe in embedding it throughout all of the curriculum and not even just secluding it to an ethnic studies course, right? Or a Black history course or, or a Latinx history course. Like we believe in it being embedded throughout and we believe in the power um, of uh, and the academic rigor of um, ethnic studies courses. And, you know, but the fear is real, because people have been fired. Educators yeah. have been fired. They have been targeted. And so one of the things that we're doing at We Are, and um, I'll bring this up now, like through our Let's Talk Racism conference, I'm so excited that we're partnering with local law schools to host clinics to defend educators yeah, in the state of North Carolina when they're being targeted. Like, I cannot wait for that breakout session. I'm waiting for all of our, our partners to confirm I'm before there. I announce it. But that yeah. session is on the way. And it won't just be that session. We're hoping to develop a clinic, an ongoing space of if a teacher finds themselves being targeted for teaching the truth, um, for teaching uh-huh. African-American studies, for teaching social justice, that they will now have legal support 
um, folks who understand the law and um, protections of educators so that we can move forward much more confidently and be rooted in laws and policies. Right. Um, Stop right there. Like just just stop right there. Like that deserves its own moment of pause. That is huge. That is huge. Because in my mind, I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm pulling, pushing all these things. We just pushed a newsletter out to talk to our teachers about what resistance looks like, what they can continue to do. You and I just talked about having people leave from their core values and the realities are, right? Like people feed their families off of their salaries. So what you just said is so profound. And that is literally resistance. That is, and the offering of these resources to teachers in a way that help hopefully will address some of the inequities that exist in pay. So these services being offered to them is something that, I mean, that didn't exist, probably doesn't exist in a lot of places. So y'all are really doing some dope, dope work. I'm so excited to partner with y'all and and to think about, in some ways, I can now say to my teachers, if you find yourself in trouble, here's an organization that can help you. We're not just out there. I feel irresponsible putting people out there to do things and then not having you know, like resources or a way to support them if and when these things happen to them. And and it does. People are targeted. So I just yeah. to just acknowledge that greatness. Well, well, thank you. And I will say that the idea came from uh, one of our partners, Tyler Wittenberg, who's also a lawyer. Um, he used to be here in North Carolina, but he took a job outside of the state. Um, it came from him and then a partnership with Education Justice Alliance. Like we were we were in a meeting and we were talking yeah. about um, a previous uh, campaign that we we held together. And we talked about the need to pivot in this moment um, to protecting educators, especially those who are who are leading with a, a socially just lens. And so um, it came out of that conversation with them. So shout out to teamwork and collaboration. That's why you have to be in community. Um, that's why community grassroots organizations matter. So I appreciate them. Um, and so we are is, is kind of taking the leadership on carrying that idea forward and, and partnering with these um, local uh, law schools to bring this to fruition. And I'll also say, like, one thing for educators that we have to do. And I think we have to co-opt the teaching standards to work for us. Say more. Um, a part, uh, so a part of this um, anti-CRT or critical race theory and anti-social emotional learning teaching is the the. Uh, the refrain is teach reading, writing, arithmetic, teach the standards. And so <clears throat> most of the people who say they have no idea what the standards are, but as educators, we need to know the standards and you co-opt the standards. And so I'm not a necessarily a fan and I'm not going to stand up and say, yeah, we need standard-based teaching and the standards are the best thing in the world, but we can make them work for us. Yeah. So for example, <clears throat> um, not teaching the standards is grounds for di- dismissal. Right. So if you're teaching a lesson on social justice, let's say in the education class, in the English classroom, because that's my background, um, like one of the standards is like can identify the theme in a text. Right. I can pick, it didn't say which text I got to pick. It said identify <laughs> the theme. Right. So if, if I'm choosing to pull in the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass or the autobiography of Malcolm X, I'm going to have my standard. The standard said to teach the theme. It didn't say what I had to teach. <laughs> it said to teach to teach theme. And so co-op the standards to work for you. Also in North Carolina, we have a North Carolina professional teaching standard. I believe it's number two. Um, if somebody have to fact check me, but I believe it's number two that talks about creating a culturally inclusive classroom. So if someone comes for you and what you're doing and leading this, uh, racially just society or, or, or curriculum, you say, I'm just trying to get, um, Excellent. I can't even remember the the different ratings on the um the standard form because it's been so long. <laughs> above develop. I'm just trying to get above development. I'm just trying to get proficient and professional teaching standard number two. These yeah. things yeah. are explicitly stated there in North yeah. Carolina's 
policy. So you make the policy work for you. Co-opt the standards, co-opt the policies that are already existence as a part of your defense. Yes. And when they come for you, because they will, there's this extra resource that, I mean, I'm still stuck there that y'all are offering this to teachers on how to navigate these power dynamics and how to navigate this system that can be very tricky because you can say that. And then this teacher has to go every single day to a building where they're being targeted. And so having a resource for lawyers that can protect, like if you're being harassed or if you're being, you know, threatened, or you feel like you're being, you know, in some ways, if there's some retaliation that has happened because you are teaching the standards, but it might not be aligned to principal. I think that's a real game changer. Yeah. Yeah. And I also just recommend who are the other folks in your building who share your same values and organize with them so that you know you're not alone. By and large, most educators are not 100% in isolation. Now, some are, and they may be an anomaly, but by and large, there's other folks in your building who share your same values and be in, be among the staff and find out who those people are and unite um, and stand together uh, in the work that we're doing as educators in the classroom. Yes, you don't have to go. There's an African proverb. You want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go together. And I, I, I agree with you. And I, I love that. Um, all right. So we know that there's current progress being made and that there are real and perceived barriers. When we, when you think about critical hope, where do you see some of the glimmers of hope? that exists in the work that really, well, don't smile like that. There's some, there's some glimmers of hope, right? No, no, no. I'm feeling it. I, it's because okay, the image of hope is in my head and it, oh, it, brought, it brought a smile to my face. Okay, yeah. good. I, didn't I know. can't wait to tell you where my hope is. Okay. Tell me where your hope lies. Oh my gosh. My hope lies in the children. Oh. In the children. And so what? like at We Are, we do an anti-racism summer camp for kids um, we have a week-long camp for kids in rising first through second grade and a week-long camp for kids in third through fifth grade. And so we use the literacy-based approach to help kids think about race, racism, skin color, and activism in very concrete ways. And whatever book we teach from, we give a copy of it to the kids so that by the end of the week, they have a home library of these books that one, they've already heard. So even if they can't read that well, they know the story because they heard it, right? And then they get to share it and be the expert in their home or in their community over that book, not over anti-racism, right? But understanding the text that that we read to them. And then we just engage in a lot of different like social justice type activities with them throughout the week. And the children are bright, they're, they're inquisitive. They, they don't understand. Like they ask questions where adults don't, where adults have already formed stereotypes and set opinions and, um, and are fixed in some of their belief systems. Kids are asking why. Yeah. They're asking the questions to get at the root. Yeah. <laughs> they're doing root cause analysis at seven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They want to know why, who would do such a thing? Like when, when we talk about racism with children, which we don't start there, like we build up to that conversation. They're, they're like blown away. Like people believe that this was okay. Why would they do that to someone else? You mean I couldn't be in the classroom with my friend who's a different race, a different skin color? Their minds are blown. And we should, like as adults, we're desensitized to that type of awe and um, like just uh, horridness of, of racism. Like we're kind of desensitized to it in some of those ways. And the children are not. And so um, so it's not even just their understanding and and learning that knowledge, but it's also their their will to show up differently. 
Mm-hmm. Like they want to show up and be a part of the solution, not the problem. And and this is um, across races. So our summer camps are mixed race spaces. So it's, it's children. Um, it's a rainbow coalition of beautiful young children who are budding activists. Some are already on their activist journey. We're just watering the seeds that have been planted by educators and parents. And for some, we're planting seeds uh, in their homes. And so that is my hope. Like my hope is looking at them like y'all are going to do better than us. And they you're going to be there and they already are. <laughs> I mean, we already get stories of the kids like their parents will email us and tell us how their child showed up at school once they got back. We've had teachers who have said to us, we can tell when a child has been to your camp. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Right. That's 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 my hope. <laughs> that's the work. That's the work. It makes me think of my own 10 year old. He's in the fifth grade now. And of course, we started those conversations early because we didn't want to wait for um for it to happen at school. And I can see the difference in his confidence and even how he navigates the world. And so I'm so appreciative that you're giving that gift to so many children because we didn't have a structure. We're just being parents, right? And so um I think that's really profound. And I really appreciate and honor the work that you're doing. I want to thank you for spending time with us today. All of the research that you mentioned, resources that you mentioned, are going to be on our website. But can you talk to us a little bit about like why you think it might be important for somebody to take the equity pledge? It's important for someone to take the equity pledge. One, because you now you're not alone um, and you're standing with a group of people. You're standing on the shoulders and the sweat and the tears and the hard work of other folks who share your values. Right. And, and that public showing of we are a group of people whose values align, who believe in this equity pledge. Um, it matters. It makes a statement in and of itself. And it, it does matter to be public um, in that way, not to be performative, but to be public so that people can see, no, this is a movement, too. There are people out there still fighting, still believing, um, because sometimes we're not always given the largest microphones no. and we're not always given space to, to you know, stand up for for. Um, socially just societies and racially equitable schools and school systems. And so um, I, I think it's, I think that's important. I think it's also important to see who all is up there because you might find other people that you can connect with, right. To continue building this work um, together so that you're not in isolation and that, um, you know, there's a community of people um, advocating for this work and you just got to get connected to the right people. Yes. Again, thank you for your time, Dr. Bonner Taylor Bullock. I really appreciate it. And you can find all of this at our website, www.profoundladies.org. All right, that's it, y'all. That's it for today's episode. I'm so grateful again to Dr. Rhonda Taylor Bullock for spending some time with me. If you'd like to learn more about her work and the work of We Are, you can check them out at weare-nc.org. That's weare-nc.org. We'll post some resources on both thewayoutisbackthrough.org and at profoundladies.org. If you like this podcast, which I hope that you do, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other educators to find the show. Next time, you'll get to hear my conversations from the Hummingbird Stories, a project created by Donnell Cannon and Jenny O'Meara, two passionate educators who have dedicated themselves to rethinking schools in North Carolina. Thanks again to Blue Dot Sessions for providing music. The theme song, Mirrors, is by Joseph McDade.